0: Is heaven real? Right, this is a question we ask ourselves. Is heaven real? Is there really a place, a space, a time, a relationship where all things are made right, where God dwells, and when we die, we somehow are, are there? Is this real? It's a question we ask ourselves in life, I think it's a question that when we're confronted with our own mortality as we grieve the death of those who have gone before us such as on a day like today in All Saints' when it's a question that is no longer abstract but again something we we want to know is is heaven for for real In the book of Revelation we are many visions of what heaven is like. And I'd like to unpack with you today the particular vision that we have from this seventh chapter of Revelation. The book of Revelation is admittedly often uh, overwhelming and even confusing with all of its symbols. But I think with just the most sort of basic working with this passage today, what we're gonna discover is that the, the image here of heaven the, the image that the seer has of what heaven is like. Is, is so countercultural, is so not intuitive, is so not what any human ever thought that heaven would be like. No cultural framework prepared one for this vision of heaven that there becomes a clear authenticity, that, it's, that this vision that the seer in Revelation has is, is a vision of heaven that is not of human origin, but it is of divine origin. Again, it, it cannot, the more we're going to reflect on it, grow out of any particular cultural or individual framework for what heaven could possibly be like. So, one of the challenges all religions face all across time, all over the centuries, is this nasty tendency to sort of view God as my God or my tribal gods and my God or my gods are the good gods and your gods are the bad or the lesser gods. In fact, we we see this going on in our world today, the the, sort of the grand poobah, the archbishop of the Church of Russia, who is himself, it's a shady story of how he got that position of power, but he has said that Russian soldiers who die fighting against Ukraine will have their sins forgiven. Again, this idea that my God is the right God and our war and our side is right, this just permeates human history of religion. And it also appears, even in the Old Testament, this idea that sort of God is the God of the ancient Israelites. And if you listen to the psalm today, you even heard that in the end of the psalm. Again, our God, our tribe, our victory. After Jesus is raised from the dead, one of the questions that the followers of Jesus ask him is, is now the time for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? Again, this idea that God is our God, our tribe, our nation, our people's God, and God is better than your God. This is just a permanent part of the human story. And so I want to back up then, and I want to read for you right before what we heard today in, in the book of Revelation. Okay? This is now from verse 4 here. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, sealed of every tribe of the people of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. And it goes on and it lists all of the tribes of Israel. 12,000 per tribe, 12 times 10 to the third, right? All of these holy numbers. And if you were a Jewish first century person, this is what you'd want heaven to look like. All of the elect from all the tribes brought back, and God finally bringing them and the Jewish people to power again. This would make sense in the human view of what heaven is about. My tribe, our tribe winning. But then the seer looks up. The seer looks up and he says, but then, but then I saw a great multitude, a great multitude from every different nation and every different tribe and every different language. And in that moment, this is a vision of heaven that explodes all the boundaries we've ever had. And the ways in which as humans we've found a way for, for differences suddenly to divide us, that it just doesn't matter. And the, the God of Scripture, the God of heaven and earth, is a God who is for all people. Our God is so much bigger than, than we ever can can imagine. And there's, again, this, this is somebody, you read the book of Revelation, you know this person is coming out of an Old Testament worldview with images and Scripture. Yet here it is, and God is saying, no. No, no, of course I love Israel. But God says, I love the whole world too. It's a bigger God. It's a bigger heaven. It blows the mind of what one was expecting. But you see, if you you have these these different tribes and these different peoples from all over the world and these different languages together, and there's a throne. At that point, anybody who was alive in the Roman Empire would have said, that makes sense to me. Because you see, that's what Rome was. Rome was this empire of all of these different people. And of course, there was one throne, and upon that throne sat Pontificus Maximus, sat the emperor. The one from whom all the power flowed. But I want you to to listen again to what the vision that actually the seer has here. He says, And after this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne, and before the lamb, before the lamb, not the lion, not the emperor. Not the elephant, the lamb, the defenseless animal, not even a ram, not even a goat, a lamb. You can't get more meek and weak, incapable of self-defense than a lamb. Well, hold on. So now you're telling me that the central power, the thing that holds all these people together is no longer military might. It's no longer oppression, the thing that holds the world together is symbolized here by a weak, helpless animal who actually, then we hear, has bled. We discover that the central axis of power in the universe is not might, coercion, or abuse. That the central power of the universe is Jesus Christ. Christ is the Lamb. Behold, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Christ, the one who chose to take human form and suffer, be tortured, crucified, and died. That Christ is at the center, and that means that the central power, the centrifugal force, the thing that sort of no, sorry, the thing that holds us all together, the gravity in the universe, is not coercion, is not hatred, is not revenge, but the 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 gravity of the universe is sacrificial love is love that is poured out for the forgiveness and reconciliation. It is not a demonstration of domination, but it is of self-emptying love on the cross. That's the central binding principle of the world. And because of that, then, everybody is clothed, and they're not clothed in, in power and shields and swords and spears, but instead, they're, they're there, we're, we're all wearing a robe, and there's a palm branch, not a spear, not a gun, not a sword, a palm branch. And suddenly all of these different languages and different tribes that have been fighting for all sorts of reasons for human history, that, that suddenly by the, by the gravity of this, of this love of Jesus Christ are, are brought together. And suddenly they're, they're joined together in this beautiful song. In all, the, in all the languages of the world, salvation belongs to our God and to Christ the Lamb forever. And this vision here is is meant to give us such hope that even now our loved ones, those who have gone before us, that they've simply taken their place and they've joined the hymn of all creation, of all the tribes of the world, praising the living Lord. Again, this this vision, this vision of the way the power works in the world did not come out of a, a human mind. This is not the way that the world worked then. This is not the way the world worked now. But this is the way that God intends for it to be. Again, a universe reoriented around the power of sacrificial love, not of might. Mm. Again, the more you start to wrestle with this vision, the more you realize that what the seer sees isn't something that would have made any logical next sequential steps to the Jewish or to the Roman mind of the first century, that they're seeing something that is totally new in human history about the way the world finally can and will work. But I think if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we'd, we'd realize that, that this vision that the seer has in chapter seven is, is probably different than our own vision of heaven, too. It was the Greeks who really introduced to the world of an afterlife of, of judgment or reward. And ever since then, all across time and cultures, there's always a sense that the the afterlife is, is sort of rewarding individuals for what they do. And those who are good get sort of a really nice place. And if you're a Viking, that's a Valhalla with the mead hall where you drink with your buddies forever, right? And you know what sort of the Muslim extremist version of this for those who die in jihad is. Again and again it pops up this idea that that heaven becomes about the fulfillment of my fantasies. And I must say when I hear many of us talk about heaven, I'm gonna humbly offer that I, I hear a lot more of a pagan description of heaven. I've heard so many people talk about heaven. But what is conspicuously absent again and again when I hear Americans talk about heaven is Jesus. Again, when I hear people talk about heaven, I don't hear a lot about Jesus. What I hear a lot about is their loved ones now getting to do what they've wanted to do their whole life with their 21 year old bodies back. It turns out that in Scripture, the vision we have is not the fulfillment of our fantasies. Heaven, rather, is about the fulfillment of our righteousness in Jesus Christ. Again, heaven in the Bible is not about the fulfillment of our fantasies. Heaven is about the fulfillment of our righteousness in Jesus Christ. Jesus is at the center of this vision and all other visions of heaven in the New Testament. And that everyone gathered around to worship. But it's not simply that we're worshiping Jesus as we heard today, that that Jesus intends to come to us. And Jesus intends to come to us, to, to now no longer be a lamb who has died for us, but, but rather a shepherd who takes care of us. A shepherd who wipes away the tears from our eyes. In heaven, we are finally the beloved. In heaven, what are we doing? Are we playing golf? Are we gardening? I don't know. What I do know is that we're loved. We're loved intensely by God. And that the relationship that we fundamentally are designed for, one of being loved by God, of being comforted, of being healed, and yet praising the living Lord, that that is what we finally get to do because we have this righteous relationship now restored through Jesus Christ. And because of that now, we then have righteousness with our own bodies. We're we're given that white robe. We can hold the palm branch. And I think about all those who were crippled by illness at the end of their lives. They can stand upright, and they can, with full voice and full energy, praise the living Lord. Because, again, we have been restored in our bodies to a body that will not decay, that will not give in to cancer, that will not have heart attacks, that will not suffer addiction. We finally have been given that, we have righteousness with ourselves. And we also have this now righteousness with others because this this love of God as we're so beloved is just pouring out of us and suddenly again, all of these divisions between people are just melting away and again, it's joining together in this beautiful song of all creation. So is heaven for real? I would humbly offer that a lot of what we think about heaven probably isn't. It turns out that heaven is really beyond our comprehension. But what is real is that our God is an awesome God. Our God is bigger than any one of our tribes or boundaries or limitations. And and our God is going to remake the universe, so no longer is it about might and coercion, about steel, about weapons, but rather about love and sacrifice. And then finally, even our hearts are reoriented away from the self and our own seeking of our own agendas, finally towards Christ and receiving Christ's love. God intends for us through Christ to live eternally in blessedness, righteousness, and innocence. This is most certainly true. Amen.